this message I've been preparing since I came back from Zimbabwe, and it's a very big subject, but I'm just condensing it a little bit for the sake of this morning. Is that okay? But I want to recap this year. Remember the lady in um, Strace By that uh, the Lord gave me her name, and I called her name out, and, and the Lord healed her of cancer? And uh, she wrote a beautiful post um, and put it on Facebook this week. And by the way, she's still doing well. She's still extremely healthy. The cancer's still gone. She's still doing good. And she put a beautiful post, and she said, you know, everybody that I meet talks about what a tough year this was. And uh, to some degree, it was. It was a tough year. She said, but equally, she said in her post, she said, I'm meeting people who are so grateful for this year. And all they talk about is how good God has been this year. And, you know, it doesn't matter, in a sense, you know, there's always difficulties. There's always stuff that happens. Life is not always a bed of roses, they say in English. But it's not so much what happens to us. It's our response to those things. And so I want to commend you for that, for this year, the way that you have faced this year. And as a church, um, you know, we've come back from lockdowns and waves and variants and all kinds of things, 18 months of it, you know, going on past 18 months. But one of the things that it struck me, some years ago, I preached a message, and it's an aspect of prayer, and particularly you take it from Isaiah chapter 40, you know that those who hope in the Lord, one translation says, another translation says, those who wait on the Lord. And there's an aspect of prayer, but in a sense, it's not confined to the prayer closet, to your prayer room, to that time of prayer, but it's waiting on God. There's a whole attitude that goes with it. There's a principle that goes with waiting on God. But it struck me, and I think it was because of my conversation with Apostle Ken Haskins, and we were talking about next year. What is God saying for next year? At this point in time, all I know is next year is going to be good. Amen. Is that okay? And I know that there are themes within a year. But can I say this? And I've got Rick Godwin on my side, Pastor Rick Godwin, and I like Rick Godwin. He calls a spade a spade. But Pastor Rick Godwin says this, God doesn't have a new plan for each year. It's the same plan since he sent Jesus. Amen. You know, and that is our sanctification, our maturity, our growth. You know, it's the same thing. And yeah, there might be nuances here and there or little emphases and particular to a church. And one of the things about the guys that have got the television channels and, you know, like us, one time we were on television and, and on YouTube and Facebook and things like this is that we prophesy word from the Lord for the new year. Well, I'm almost convinced that's that for that church. You know what I'm saying? Because prophets, there's only a few prophets that are prophets to the whole world. There's only a handful of them. I know there's a lot of wannabes and pretend-to-bees, you know, that go on, God spoke to me, this is the word of the Lord for the new year. And um, then we try and apply that word. I believe he's speaking in the context of his church. And, yeah, you know, look, if he prophesies something that's directly out of the Scriptures, great, take it and apply it. But, you know, I did it as an example once. I went through all the prophecies for the new year. So it's going to be a year of this and a season of this and a time of this and a time of that. And it was like, oh, my word, there's a lot going on in this year, you know. 
and you know, you kind of look back at it, and, and I realize at the end of the year that none of that applied to me. Am I making sense? And so, you know, we need to hear from God for ourselves. We need to hear from God for this church. What is God saying to us? Is that all right? So we were talking about it, and Pastor Ken said, God spoke to me. There's a verse where he said, you know, he said, so for me, I just feel that it's not waiting on the Lord. It's waiting for the Lord. And it struck such a chord in my own heart and I remember years ago, I did a whole message on waiting on the Lord, a teaching on waiting on the Lord, waiting on the Lord, especially in our prayer times. But it's an attitude that carries through out of your prayer room into the week. And I began to study waiting for the Lord because it's subtle, but there's a difference. Is that okay? Because you can wait on the Lord for a word. God, what do you say? But there's something that goes beyond waiting on the Lord when you start waiting for the Lord. I am convinced that as we've come through this year, and especially out of last year, we've come through a lot of challenges. A lot of people have spoken to me, and a lot of people have said, it has been tough. Not complaining with an attitude of gratitude, they're saying, it has been tough. However, God has brought us through, and He has. So Psalm 27, verses 13 to 14, says this, and it's from the New International Version. He said, I remain confident of this, that I will see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. I mean, look at that. What a powerful verse. I am still, still. Now, when David wrote that, he'd maybe been through some stuff similar to COVID. And you get through to the end, and you're going like, hey, I haven't seen it yet. I'm grateful for what's happened, and I'm grateful for the distance that I've come. But I am still confident, still. Everybody say, still confident. I'm still confident of this. I will see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. Now, when you hear a lot of preachers, you're only going to see the goodness of God in heaven one day when you die. That's a fallacy. That's a fallacy. Okay, That's pie in the sky when you die theology. So David understood I need to see the goodness of God in this land, you know, while I'm alive. What's the point of suffering and then going being with Jesus? What kind of life is that? Paul said it concerning the resurrection. If it's only for this life we have hope, we are the most miserable of all people. We are to be pitied the most. So he says, I remain confident of this, that I will see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. Then he says this, wait for the Lord. Ah, isn't that awesome? Wait for the Lord. So in other words, what he was saying, I'm going to see the goodness of God in the land of the living. So I'm going to wait for God. In other words, God is going to come. God is going to manifest. God is going to do something. There's going to be supernatural lightning feedback from heaven, Revelations chapter 8. There's going to be a response from on high. So I'm waiting and I'm looking for the Lord to come and to act on my behalf that I will see his goodness. And then he says this, be strong and take heart and wait for the Lord. So he puts bracket, bracket, wait for the Lord, wait for the Lord. In, right in the center, he says, be strong and take heart. Yeah. Now that theme goes right throughout scripture. Yeah. Only be strong. And especially when we read in Joshua chapter 1, 
Moses, the great leader, the charismatic leader, that powerful leader, that anointed man, that man who was very much paralleled to Jesus. He was the savior of the Old Testament church, and then Jesus comes the savior of the New Testament church. Both similar birth experiences, both raised up. One brings the law, the other brings the spirit. And so contrasting characters, but powerful man. And Joshua chapter 1 says, and in verse 1, he says, After the death of Moses, the servant of the Lord, the Lord said to Joshua, son of Nun, who was Moses' aide, you know, the one who stood alongside him and helped him, his two IC, his Batman, his gopher. And uh, in verse 2, he says, Moses, my servant, is dead. You know, what a powerful statement. Sad, but powerful. And so it was almost, you know, when God stated it, he was stating the obvious, yeah. <laughs> you know. But whenever God says something, he's not just stating the obvious. Whenever God says something like that, you know, it's a loaded statement. For example, right now I could say 2021 is over. And on one hand it could be like, oh. On the other hand it could be like, well, then there's an anticipation. That would be stating the obvious. But then there's an anticipation of this year is over. So what's coming is probably better. Okay? Now, as far as I'm concerned, it is. He says, now then, you and all these people get ready. Everybody say, get ready. So the message this morning that I'm sharing with you is in the light of what Peter says in First Peter. He says that we're to arm our minds. One translation says, gird up the loins of your minds. Another says, prepare your minds. Prepare your mind for action. And so this morning, what I'm sharing with you is, is an attitude that I want you to take over into the new year. Is that okay? Yeah. It's something of a, a sort of pre-new year word that I believe is a prophetic word. Is that okay? And I want you to take this through into the new year. I want you to get ready to cross into 2022. But now, how do we prepare ourselves? How do we get ready? He says, into the land that I'm about to give them to the Israelites. So that there's a land, there's promises, there's actions of God, there's interventions, there's the power of God that we're going to see and experience in 2022. Because I'm still confident of this, that we'll she'll see the goodness of God in the land of the living. Is that okay? And then in verse 3, he says, I will give you every place where you set your foot as I promised Moses. Verse 4. He says, your territory will extend, verse 5. And then he says, no one will be able to stand against you, verse 6. And then he says, but be and courageous, because you will lead these people to inherit the land. Be strong and be courageous. And you know that very often we fear the future because of past experiences. And fear is such a boogeyman because... It's in a sense, our fears of the future are built on our past experiences. So it's things that have already happened that create fear. And so, you know, for the Israelites, maybe what loomed large in Joshua's mind is when after they'd sinned, God said, all right, you can't go into the promised land. You're going to turn back and go through the wilderness. And then they said, no, 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 we're ready, we're ready. And then they tried 
despite what God said, to enter in, and they got defeated very badly, destroyed. And so God said, well, I told you, you can't enter. And so maybe there was a little bit of fear and trepidation, because remember, they had sent spies in. Joshua and Caleb were the only two that came with a positive report. So they already knew, you know, there be giants there, (laughs) you know. There's dragons and crocodiles and all sorts of things. That's lion territory. You know, the Nephilim are there. Maybe on some there was a little bit of trepidation. Maybe for Joshua himself was because I'm used to doing this with Moses. I was confident in his leadership. And whatever the circumstances, whatever, you know, as we anticipate the new year, as we're going into it, it's like, whew, I made it. But, you know, the scientists are saying, you know, this could go on for another couple of years. There could be more waves and blah, 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 and all of this kind of thing. And it's like, will I survive the first 18 months? Will I survive the next? Yes, you are. You are. Amen. So, but be strong and courageous. So while waiting for the Lord. One of the sort of, this is just bonus, one of the inner attitudes that we need is to be strong, to be courageous. Is that okay? Strong and courageous, strong and courageous, strong and courageous. Verse 7. And notice this in verse 7, God says this Be strong and very courageous. (laughs) Okay? Do you think that maybe the Lord was trying to make a point? I mean, he says it twice in two verses. You know, be strong and courageous because I'm going to give you the place. Be strong and very courageous. And, you know, God is an amazing God. Isn't that right? And so that's the thing. So we're waiting for the Lord. And there's a sense in which, yes, we are waiting on the Lord, but we're waiting for the Lord because we're confident of the fact that God is going to take action. There's going to be intervention. God is going to move. God is going to stretch out his hand, and he's going to perform miraculous signs and wonders through the name of his holy servant, Jesus. Amen. So Isaiah 40 verse 31 does say, those that wait upon the Lord shall renew their strength. But I'm talking a little bit more. It involves that, but I'm talking a little bit more. So how do I wait for God? You know, God loves to work for those who wait for him. You know, very often we think God is not working. God is working for every human being on this planet. Every day the sun comes up. These uh, theologians call it preservation, where God preserves his creation. He makes sure seed time and harvest continues. The rain comes on the just and the unjust, Matthew chapter 5. And so for everybody, God is working. Is that okay? And so Hebrews chapter 1 tells us that he sustains all things, the whole universe, by the power of his word. I like what one American preacher said, the reason the sun comes up every day is because every night, just before morning, God gets up, so to speak, and then he looks at the sun, he says, sun, do it again. And the sun rises, you know. So there's a reality in which God, because of preservation, God is sustaining. God is sustaining all of creation. But more specific to that is God loves to work for those of his children and particularly who have the right disposition towards him. Is that okay? And so Isaiah 64 verses 1 to 4 gives us some good insight. Because how do we wait for God? What does waiting for God mean? And when do we stop waiting for God, if ever? 
So Isaiah 64 verses 1 to 4 says this. Oh, this is Isaiah saying, and it was at a, a really terrible time in the history of Israel. The Assyrians had already started invading the territory, and the Babylonians were about to follow. And he says, oh, that you would rend the heavens and come down, that the mountains would tremble before you. As when fire sets twigs ablaze and causes water to boil, come down to make your name known to your enemies and cause the nations to quake before you. In other words, God, come and do something. Come and intervene. Come and do something earth-shaking, earth-rendering. For when you did awesome things that we did not expect, he says, you came down and the mountains trembled before you. God, we've seen your intervention. Since ancient times, no one has heard, no ear has perceived, no eye has seen any God besides you who acts on behalf of those who wait for him. Come on, church. Woo. So let's get an attitude of waiting for God, waiting for God. And I know we're going into a little bit of a still time, a bit of quiet time, a bit of downtime. You know, a little bit of holiday time, a little bit of eating time, and all of that. And when we come back in a few weeks' time, it'll be diet time <laughs> again. But God acts for those who wait for Him specifically. Come on, church. Let's be a church that waits for God, waits for God. Now, some of this I'm sharing with you because, and I'm not saying it as a brag. Really, I'm not. I'm saying it really humbly. This is something that I have practiced for a long time. I have such an expectation of God moving, okay? There are lessons that I've had to learn to tweak and refine, and so some of this I'm speaking out of personal experience. So there is a common grace that God gives to all of humanity, but there's a special grace that God gives to His children, particularly those who say, God, I'm waiting for you. So, he says, no eye has seen a God besides you who acts on those who wait for him. You know, it's not just the meeting of a few neutral needs, you know, random needs, you know, you know whatever. But it's an intervention. It's an activity of God that's supernatural and undeniable for those who wait for God. So, what is it and how? How do we do it? And I'm going to look a little bit at Isaiah to talk about. But the first thing about waiting for God, and this was the subject of the teaching that I did some years ago, waiting, waiting on or waiting upon the Lord. Waiting for God is never an inactive thing. It's always active. See, there's a lot of Christians who are waiting for God, but they're actually lazy. Because God's going to do everything. Are you with me, church? Now, I'm going to sit. I'm going to kick back on the lazy boy, pull that lever. I'm going to get the remote and switch on the telly, and God is going to do it. And there's a sense in which, you know, there's an element at times when that's correct, but there's a majority of the time I'm finding that's incorrect. Because waiting for God is an active position. Is that okay? So the first element of wait, wait for God, is pray. I'm waiting for God, so I'm praying, all right? So God's people, as I said, the Israelites were in huge trouble, 
and the danger that God saw was not the danger of the Assyrians and the Babylonians. The danger for the Israelites is that they began to look around and say, right, who's going to help us? And they started to build an alliance with the Egyptian pharaoh and say, come and help us against the Syrians and the Babylonians. And God kept saying, if you do that, it's going to be worse. Now, I don't know, maybe by just a little show of hands, mine is up already, you know, when I've been in Stuck, you know, when I've been back against the wall and something needs to happen, and I just go, okay, God, you've got to help. But immediately, immediately, I'm making plans. Who can I go and see? Who can I phone? You know, where can I get a loan? <laughs> and immediately we start making plans. Can all, let me just see, come on, not the heads. Come on, all you holy people. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I've done it. I've done it. And very often, you know, so many times I missed out on great blessings. And I've learned these days just to wait, you know, and just hang back a bit. Don't start scheming. Don't start making plans. Don't take matters into your own hands. And so listen to what Isaiah 31 verse 1 says. God says this, Woe to those who go down to Egypt for help and rely on horses, who trust in chariots because they are many and in horsemen because they are very strong. But do not look to the Holy One of Israel or consult the Lord. Come on, church. I know, I know for a fact that many times I've missed out on a blessing because I didn't consult God. So part of waiting for the Lord is to wait on the Lord in prayer. Go and get a word from God. Amen? So God, how do I handle this? How do I handle this person? How do I handle this situation? How do I handle this threat concerning my company? How do I handle this? Wait and consult God. If you look at all the great men and women of God in the Bible who did anything for God, their first port of call was not FNB or Standard Bank, Loan Division, Credit Card Division, you know, or a friend or the boss at work or anything like this. The first port of call was on your knees before God and say, God, please will you help? What do I do about this? So it's to consult God. Consult God. What is God's opinion? Wait on the Lord while you're waiting for God to act. And it's incredible. The first thing to do is to pray. It's amazing. It's amazing that for so many of us, after so many years of serving the Lord, it's not our instant reaction. Our instant reaction should be, God, what do I do about this? Help me. Please speak to me. Seek the counsel of God. What is his way to solve the problem and bring you out of trouble? Psalm 106 verse 13. They soon forgot his works. They did not wait for his counsel. And we need to wait for the counsel of God. Get the opinion of God. Is that okay? And sometimes God says, just be quiet. Just be still. Now, I'm going to share a testimony with you. I don't want you to feel bad. If it makes you feel bad, that's good. Um, <laughs> I'm teasing, but this is the first year in many years that December has been exceptionally bad financially, and I know that a lot of people have been under pressure financially, but for some reason, December was an exceptionally bad month income-wise. Um, on our main account, main account just, just to break even and pay the bills, we were 40,000 rand down. Now, normally, you know, over the year, Christmas is a better month because of people getting bonuses and things like that. And, and probably that's part of the reason because people 
are not, you know, it's, it's been a tough year, but we're waiting for God. And of course, my heart is always for my staff because I like to give them something extra for Christmas because they work really hard during the year. And even if they don't work hard, I've got to give them something because they work with me. <laughs> you know, and sometimes that's a challenge on its own. But, you know, years ago when I was doing a lot of itinerant ministry, I would bring money back, you know, extra money once airfares and that are paid so that I personally, and I was personally paying the staff bonuses because that's my heart. They work under salaried. They work for love. They're in the ministry. You know, they don't, they could earn much more if they worked somewhere else and they work hard. And so for me, it's such a blessing to give them something extra at Christmas. But this year, there was nothing. And Shireen was saying, what are we going to do? And so I said, okay, what's in the building fund? What's in the insurance fund? What's in this fund? What's in the TV fund? What's in this fund? And I started looking at it, and I said, well, we're just going to have to start plundering all the funds. But all those other little pockets of money are there for a reason. And so we, during there, we do these little pockets of money to make sure that when Adobe comes and says, right, time to swipe, that we don't go, Jesus, let it go through, please. Because <laughs> that doesn't always work. But that we can pay Adobe for the editing. We can pay APSA for the building insurance and things like this. Believe it or not, it takes money to run a ministry. Yeah, just like anything else. And so Shireen was saying, what are we going to do? And then I just decided, no, wait a minute. Wait a minute. Let's just wait on the Lord. And I waited. And the Lord said to me, just be honest with the people and share it. And just share it with the church. Yeah. And, and so, but I first consulted the Lord and I waited and I had a confidence in my heart just to bring it to the church. And last week, someone was watching online and sent me a message and said, we'll pay not only the shortfall, but we'll pay what you need for the staff bonuses. Yeah. Amen. So I was really grateful because we can leave the money in those funds. Because otherwise, January would have been a scramble to catch up because soon we would have to pay that money. Come on, church, consult the Lord. Do you understand what I'm saying? God wants to do something. And I'm not talking about a little bit of money. You know, it was 40000 just to catch up. And then all the staff bonuses that we were able to give all the staff their bonuses. These nine staff members. So it adds up to a reasonable amount of money. So this family watching us via live stream, you know, put in almost what was equivalent to nearly a month's income into the church. Come on, say God's good, man. So what is our attitude while we're waiting for the Lord? Pray. Consult the Lord. Amen. You know, it's, uh, is it incredible how we are more prone to take a doctor's advice than God's advice? Incredible. Isn't that amazing? So you, you go and see the doctor, and he says, well, you need to take this tablet three times a day, and you must rest. So the first thing we do is contact the boss, tell him, you know, give him the sick note. Then we back home, and then we like this, and we're taking the tablets religious three times a day after meals or half an hour before a meal on an empty stomach and things like this. And we'll do it. But when God says it, what is it about us? Come on, church. I think we need to have a good giggle about ourselves, you know? And it's like, what does the doctor say? So what does God say? What does God say? What does God say about it? And you know, there's times when you phone the doctor and he'll say, listen, 
you better take this tablet, but you better start exercising and cutting down on food. That one we mostly ignore. The rest one we like doing. No, no, but very often, I mean, we'll take the doctor's advice and say, well, the doctor says we've got to do this, and we do it. But it's amazing to me that there are so many Christians, the Word is full of good advice, you know, where God tells us to do something, we don't do it. We need to do what God tells us to do. So one of the things, one of the attitudes, the first one is while we're waiting for God is to consult with God and for the Lord to speak to us. And sometimes, sometimes, it's not an inactive position. Sometimes God says, just relax. Stop fretting. Don't get anxious. Stop getting worked up. Stop making alternative plans. Chill. Now, I don't know about you, but for me, that's probably the hardest advice I could ever follow. Because this computer here is always working and processing. Two weeks ago, I was just before I went to Zim's, my wisdom tooth at the back was giving me a bit of drama. And, and I didn't want it to play up while I was in Zim's. So I went to see the dentist and she said to me, yeah, I will have to attend it, but I'll give you a script. Just take antibiotics. Take them with you. Because if it plays, I take it. Because when you come back, I can't treat a tooth that's infected. So anyway, I got back and I was fine. And then I started to feel, mm. I thought, yeah, it's coming to Christmas. Let me go and check because I certainly am going to have some roast something with other roast things with gravy on it, for sure. And I don't want it to affect that. Let me go and see this lady. So I went to go and see her. She said, oh, Pastor John, 90% sure eating day now it's going to give you beans. 100% sure it's got to come out. So I said, okay. So she's in my mouth over there, and I know, you know your jaw's wide open. She's got the syringe in, and she's injecting and injecting, and she's going like, so I'm really struggling to inject your jaw because you don't have a jaw like a normal person. So I went, oh. so she takes the syringe, what? And I said, please don't tell anybody that. I said, especially not my wife and my secretary, because they all tell me you're not normal. So I came back and told Shireen, she said, that's confirmation. Your wife says it, your doctor Peter said it, and now the dentist also says you're not normal. So I just want you to know I'm not normal. I like... <laughs> I'm supernatural and sanctified, and so are you. You're not normal. Amen? Come on, we're not normal. And the thing about waiting for God is doing things that are not normal. Come on, church. It's not our instinct. And so the hardest thing is just, just chill. You know, for me, it's painful to me when people say, Pastor John, you must just rest. I, I don't want to rest. I, I want to do something because I'm excited, you know? But sometimes... The Lord will tell us no plans, no alternative plans, no backup plans, no plan B just in case plan A of waiting for God doesn't work. There are times that we need to wait for God. Amen? The baseline for waiting, maybe let me just throw it in here. Imagine how difficult it was for the Israelites. They've just left Egypt, you know, God made the Egyptians all predisposed to them to give them all their wealth. 
They've got all the boodle and all the beauty of Egypt, and they're carrying them on their camels and donkeys and asses and cows and all this kind of thing, and they're heading out. And it's like, yay, party, whoa, hallelujah, Jesus. You know, and then they come to the Red Sea. They come to the Red Sea, and then you know, somebody from the back shouts, hey, there's a pillar of dust coming. Now it's a cloud of dust. Now it looks like a dust storm. And when they have a closer look, it's the Pharaoh and all his armies, and they've changed their mind, and they're coming with evil intent. And they were kind of in a hollowish place, like a horseshoe-shaped place. So they couldn't go to the left, they couldn't go to the right, and of course they couldn't go backwards, but in front of them was a sea. And they start weeping and wailing and crying out to God, and God's answer was, be still. Now, in that kind of circumstance, in that kind of situation, how do you stand relaxed and calm when it's imminent that you're going to get arrows in your back or a spear through you or something like that? You're going to get rounded up. And God says, just be still. Tell the people, be calm. Just be strong and be very courageous. Incredible. Then God says to Moses, okay, Moses, take that rod and stretch it out over the sea. Now, me, and possibly you, I would do this, and I would expect it's open and dry, and we can cross immediately. But the Bible says the wind blows the whole night. So the whole night, Moses is standing there, and they're thinking, well, I I hope they're hungry, and they're all doing poiki, you know? And they're not sneaking up in the night and setting a night ambush. But the wind starts to blow, and God doesn't rush. God takes 12 hours or more to separate the water. He doesn't do it instantly. So what is the attitude while they're waiting? So part of it is, part of it is being strong and courageous and saying, okay, God, God's done it in the past. God will do it again. I'll be strong. God will show... I am still confident that I will see the goodness of God in the land of the living. Amen. The second, and I want to just talk about it, the second part, the second part of the attitude, the baseline for it is, and I'm not going to elaborate on it, is expectation. Everybody say expectation. To have an expectancy that God is going to do something. You know, very often we pray without an expectation. Some of the greatest miracles that I've seen in answer to prayer is when I prayed picturing the outcome that I'm praying for rather than picturing the problem I'm praying for to change. And many miracles have happened like that. When I've physically adjusted my mind because you prayed, oh, Jesus, you know, we can pray for lost loved ones, unsaved loved ones. We can pray for someone to be healed or whatever, you know. And you can pray focusing on the current situation, as you said, or you can see it differently. I remember David Yonggi Cho, when his son died, and he went in to go and pray for his son and raise his son from the dead. God spoke to him and told him to take his eyes of his dead child and look out the window. And when he looked out the window, he could see, like in a vision, but his son running out in the field. And he then looked at that, and he prayed, and his son came back to life. So we need to have an a spirit of expectation while we're waiting. Like David said, I'm still confident that I will see the goodness of God. So what are you looking at? What are you seeing? What is your expectation? 
because you're going, oh, Jesus, help, oh, Jesus, help. But you're seeing the clerk of the bank come. You're seeing the sheriff come and writing everything up. You're seeing whatever. You're seeing the debt. You're seeing the boss fire. You're seeing no job. You're seeing whatever. What are we looking at while we're waiting? And so beneath it is a spirit of expectation. It's amazing. Anna and Simeon, two virtually anonymous prophets, one a woman and one a man, both older in age, but both every day in the temple, every single day, because they had an expectation. They were waiting for God. And then when Simeon takes Jesus, baby Jesus in his hands, because here comes the Savior, and how did he recognize him? He recognized him by the Spirit because of his expectation. This is the salvation of the Lord. And he holds the baby Jesus in his arms, prophesies, and he says, okay, now you can take your servant because mine eyes have seen your salvation. Why? Because for years they waited for God and they saw God. And so that's the attitude we need to have. So part of the baseline of waiting is expectation, part A, part B, is confession. Is that good? The B part is confession. If we go back to Joshua chapter 1, remember what God said. You're going to take them in. Moses is dead. I'm going to give you um, every place that your feet must tread and all of this kind. And you're going to go into the land. And so right there we see that waiting for God is activity because God says you need to start walking. So you're going to walk out this process. And then he says, be strong and courageous. But look at verse 8. Look at verse 8. Eight. God says to Moses, he said, this book of the law shall not depart out of or depart from your mouth. God didn't say, it shall not depart from your heart. Because you've memorized it and it's stored up in your heart. He said, this book of the law shall not depart from your mouth. When you want to say my mouth? my mouth. In other words, we should be confessing and speaking the word. Yeah. It's easy to speak the problem. It's easy to repeat the difficulty. Anybody can do that. The whole world is doing it. Yeah. I'm proud of this church because the vast majority of you are all talking and saying, no, we're going to get through this virus. No, we're going to get through It's this, it's that. Whereas there's a lot of people that have already committed suicide because of COVID, the COVID pandemic. But here you are, and you've stood through it, and you've stood through adverse things. And so the book of the law shall not depart from our mouths, because in the Hebrew mind, they understood that to memorize was for it to constantly be in my mouth, because I need to hear myself saying it. What is the majority of what we hear do we hear ourselves speaking the issue and the problem, or are we hearing ourselves speaking the word and speaking what God says? And so part of the baseline attitude with being strong and courageous is A, expectation, B, confession. What is our confession? All right. So then we've waited and prayed, but then sometimes there's waiting and resting. Listen to what God says to the Israelites in Isaiah 30, 15 to 16, he says, In returning and rest, you shall be saved. In quietness and in trust shall be your strength. Can you see it's not inactive, it's active. So the rest of God, so the resting is not inactivity because you still need to go to work, you still need to do things. 
It's a disposition of the heart of trusting God. He says, in quietness and trust shall be your strength. And then he says to them, but you were unwilling and you said, no, we will flee upon horses. Therefore, you shall flee away. And we will ride upon swift steeds. Therefore, your pursuers shall also be swift. And God said to them, just get into quietness and rest. Don't get into speeding horses. So there are times that God wants us just to get into that quiet disposition. And then sometimes, and I find it's normally after you've paused long enough, you've waited long enough. Now it can be minutes, it can be hours, it can be days, it can be weeks, just waiting on the Lord, waiting on the Lord waiting for God with eager expectation, waiting courageously. God, you're going to come through. Very often, more often than not, I find that God brings in the next aspect, which is be waiting for Him, but be acting. Be doing something. The amazing thing is that there were times, like with Israelites, God would say, Stand still and see the deliverance I'll bring. The Egyptians that you see today, you'll never see again. And I love those times. But then there's other times, and I also love them, where God says, pick up the sword and get into battle. Go and face Goliath. It's interesting that when David was anointed king, and it's one of my favorite passages when the Philistines heard that David had been anointed king, they came up against him. They came to defeat him because they go, all right, Israel's got a king. Let's go and take the king out and subjugate this nation. Isn't it amazing when you have an encounter with God and you get freshly anointed? <laughs> the first person that knows about it before you even phone your family is that slimy devil, isn't it? I mean, whenever you get a fresh anointing, the crown of glory is on your head and you stand up and it's like, whoa. You know, there's someone to come and try and take it away. But I love what David did. David always went to go and inquire of the Lord. One of the things David, and listen, he was a skilled, skilled soldier, skilled warrior. But he knew his success was of the Lord, so he went and inquired of the Lord, and you can read about it in 2 Samuel chapter 5. It's a beautiful passage. And then so he inquires of the Lord. He prays, and then he waits. He says this, Shall I go up against the Philistines? Will you give them into my hand? God, what is the strategy for this waiting on you? What would you like me to do? What am I supposed to do? I mean, here they're coming. They're going to attack us. Inquire, Lord, wait. And then God says to him, and this is the answer, go up for I will certainly give the Philistines into your hands. And this happened twice. Twice. So the first time he says, act, pick up your swords, get the soldiers, go and attack them, you'll win. And they did. Then the Philistines came back. And then he inquired of the Lord again, because David knew I can't repeat the same tactic I did last time because God has a different strategy. Why does God do that? Because he wants to show you how much God he is and he wants to get the glory. Amen. 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 Because he's trying to teach us something. Depend on me. And he gets the glory and you get the victory. Is that okay? 
And the second time, he says, circle around, go through the trees. When you hear my angels marching in the tops of the trees, then go out. And then the second time, same result, but completely different tactic. But why? He consulted with the Lord. Is that okay? And when he went around, you know, the next time through the trees, because he had done his waiting on the Lord, now he was waiting for the Lord. And when he heard God marching, he said, okay, it's time to act. It's incredible to me how many times in so many years of ministry when I've had to deal with situations. And in the early days, I was not confident. You know, I was not confident as the leader and the pastor of the church. And very often, there were dire situations that were affecting the church or would possibly affect the church. And I, I'd lacked the confidence and the skills to be able to deal with it because very often it involves confronting people. And it's not my favorite pastime. I much prefer preaching and just loving you, wishing that you'd all just behave, you know. But sometimes they don't, you know. And sometimes people come into the church and they're plants and all kinds of things, you know. And then you've got to deal with them to protect the sheep. And I, I hate it. But anyway, so I always used to be reticent. I would much rather fast and pray 40 days and hope the situation would change. And very often I fast and prayed 40 days, and in that 40 days of me fast and prayed got a whole lot worse <laughs> because I hadn't acted. But there were other times when it did change, but then it came time for me to act. You understand what I'm saying? And then I started acting, but then because I was still learning, sometimes when I acted, I acted unwisely. Sometimes I acted prematurely. Sometimes I acted too emotionally. And so sometimes, you know, I hurt people. Sometimes by not acting quick enough, I allowed those people to hurt the church. You know, the other sheep were, and it, it's always difficult. But one of the things that I learned was sometimes, when, especially when a situation was really dire, was to go to inquire of the Lord and wait. And you know how many times God gave me a strategy with which to deal with it and the peace that would result very often, not only for those people involved, but for the rest of the flock, and then ultimately for myself. I would just wait on God, and God would just speak to me, say this, do this. Sometimes, we had a guy in the church, and I mean, it's hard to think that these kind of things go on in church, hey? Well, things like what I'm going to tell you now. And um, there was a, a young guy, and he really, really fancied himself as a preacher, and and things like this, and young man, you know, wanted to preach and all this kind of thing. Came into the church, two little kids, and um, he would get invitations to preach other places, and then he would get those pastors to send me letters to say how well he had preached, how many people got saved, you know, and all the, how many people got healed. And then I would be getting these letters, and then he'd come and ask me, did you get the letter from that pastor? And I pretty soon figured... This guy just wants to take over my pulpit, you know. And I soon realized, no, he wants to take over the church. He figures he can do a much better job than me. He figures he's much more anointed than me. So I said, that's great. And I said to the Lord, what do I do about it? And the Lord said, just make him wait. Don't invite him to preach. Don't do nothing. Just make him wait. He will blow his cover. He said, I will reveal his motive. So every letter I got... I wouldn't say anything. You come to me, did you get the letter from Pastor Sansa? Yeah, excellent. Well done. So many people got saved. Brother, I'm proud of you. 
And uh, one day I went on holiday. We went on holiday for a few days. And when I came back, he had gone to all the leaders. It wasn't the leaders that I have now because he wouldn't have got this far with him. And um, he went to the leaders and basically arranged a mutiny. And when I came back from holiday, I was called in to the leaders meeting. And um, I was sitting there and they were about to fire me as the pastor of the church and appoint him as the pastor, this young guy. And I just sat in the meeting and I just listened and they went around and they were kind of all telling me how useless I was and what I'm not doing and I don't have vision and all this kind of thing. And of course, this guy was not at the meeting. He was waiting the outcome of the meeting, which was loaded in his favor. And I just sat in the meeting and I listened and I nodded and it went around, you know, around the circle. But as it goes, and of course, I was nervous, but I was extremely annoyed because it was a plain mutiny. And so what I did was I just began to wait on the Lord and just pray, you know, and waited on the Lord. And as I went around, eventually it was quiet, and I said, okay, you guys all had your say. They said, yes. I said, thank you very much. Thank you for the concern for the church. And um, God just gave me incredible wisdom on the moment, and I just started to say, have you considered that? And I just went around, and I just looked at each one of the leaders, and I just put questions to them, questions to them, questions to them, questions to them. The elder that was on my right eventually spoke up, and he said, I told you all that I'm not part of this. And he suddenly began to speak up for me. And the whole thing turned. Every one of them repented with tears in their eyes, asked me for forgiveness. And they said to me, Pastor John, we are so sorry. What I should have done was fired all of them. But I didn't. And they said to me, what do we do now? So I said, well, what is the route to ministry? What is the route? And they said, to serve. And I said, yes. I said, only a grave digger starts at the top and works his way down. In every other job, you start at the bottom and work your way up. I said, who is this man to walk into this church and demand the pulpit? He's never served at the door and ushered. He's never waited on anyone. He's never served in any department. And they said, Pastor John, we've made our decision. We will get back to him because he's waiting for a phone call. We'll tell him that after this meeting, we'll be unanimous and we're appointing him as an usher at the door. <laughs> so I said, <laughs> prayed with them all, forgave them all. So the lead elder then phoned this guy. And you know what his response was? His response was, no, it's okay. I've already phoned a pastor at another church. I've left, and I'm going to go and join another church. As soon as they said, we've decided to appoint you as an usher. He said, I'm meeting him with this other pastor tomorrow night already. Can't believe that some of God's children misbehave like this, eh? Yeah. Now you know why when I say pray for me, you need to pray for me, eh? And so just in that moment of just waiting, but then sometimes you need to act. Sometimes you then need to do something. Once you've consulted, but just pull aside and then act. And sometimes we need to speak. Sometimes we need to do. You know, there's many people, many Christians, I feel called, you know, God's called me to do business or do this or do that. And the first thing that I would say is, you may even have a skill, but do some kind of financial or business course while you're waiting for God. Let your action be study. One of the things that I'm so pleased about with Nkosi, Nkosi is studying and studying and studying, but he has a prophetic word 
that he's going to be extremely wealthy. But he doesn't pull back the lazy boy and go like, hey, God's going to send me the money in the business. He understands. He's doing forensic auditing courses. He's doing all kinds of courses. And God is blessing him. But he's still waiting for the Lord for the prophetic word. And so what do we need to do? What do we need to do as we are waiting for God, but we're acting? So no matter how hard you work, there should be a spirit of waiting. We're so prone to think that waiting means nothingness. But the fact is that we need to wait with a spirit of expectancy. Listen to what Proverbs 21, 31 says. The horse is made ready for the day of battle, but the victory belongs to the Lord. So what are you doing? What are you doing? You know? J.D. and Yaku will both probably be in full-time ministry. The first thing I said to them, sign up and do a theology course. Do a degree in theology. While you're waiting for God, act and do something. I like it when it's, I think this was John Piper, Pastor John Piper said this, even when the Lord says act, we act with a spirit of reliance on His work. And we wait for the Lord in a spirit of expectancy that even though our labor is vulnerable and sometimes feeble, the final result of all we do lies in the hands of the Lord. And on that, we wait in all our work, waiting for God. Psalm 33, the king is not saved by his great army. A warrior is not delivered by his great strength. The war horse is a false hope for salvation, and by its great might it cannot rescue. Our soul waits for the Lord. He is our help and our shield, for our heart is glad in Him because we trust in His holy name. Let your steadfast love, O Lord, be upon us, even as we hope, wait for you. In closing, can I just say, that this year is just about over. In a sense, the Moses of 2021 is over. We can take a lot out of this year. We can go out of this year with great gratitude that we've come to this point and we're still doing good. Amen? But as we expect 2022, don't listen to the bad news. Is that okay? Don't imbibe that spirit of fear that comes across you know, the media and all this kind of thing. It's sensationalism. Isn't it amazing? You know, it's just incredible how they can change from one thing to the next just at a switch of a button. And I guarantee you soon, soon it won't be long, and suddenly you won't be having so many people infected, so many people dead, so many people this. This is what the Minister of saying. This is what the World Health was. Da, 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 da. Something is going to come up more newsworthy, and it's just going to be like, pew. Okay, so what happened to all the talk about COVID? We bind to that spirit of fear. Come on, let's wait for God. God has given us very great and precious promises for us as a church, for ACF, for yourselves as individuals. God has spoken into your life. Come on. Those things are not suspended just because of COVID. Lockdown didn't lock down God. It didn't lock down His promises. Is that okay? And so, so I predict you shall be prosperous. Amen. Amen. I prophesy that you shall grow spiritually. And like Paul said to Timothy, everyone will see your prophet. Your profiting, your advancement, your growth in the Lord Jesus Christ. So let's take the attitude as we're waiting for 2022 that's coming soon. Let's take the attitude of let's wait for God.
because he's going to show up. Amen. Lord, we want to just thank you that we can rely on you, we can trust in you, that we can wait for you. And Lord, this morning, thank you that as we wait on the Lord, we shall renew our strength. But Lord, we don't want to just wait on you. We want to wait for you. We're going to see you move. We're going to experience your intervention. Lord, we're going to live through things that when you told the Israelites, you said, you're going to feel like people dreaming when they're experiencing the reality of their deliverance, their breakthrough. We were like men who dreamed. And God, I want to thank you that for everyone here, for those not here because of COVID, because of flu, those that are away on holiday, those part of ACF, Father, I want to thank you when the manifestation comes, the reality of your invasion into their lives, the breakthrough that you bring, they will be like people who dreamed when you turned their captivity. And God, I want to thank you. I want to thank you that we shall see the goodness of God in 2022 in the name of the Lord Jesus. So Father, I speak that over each one that is here this morning and those that are absent. Father, I declare they shall see the goodness the mercy, the kindness, the grace of God, the provision of God in 2022, in Jesus' mighty name. So, Lord, we will rest in the sense of we will have peace in our hearts, but, Lord, we'll have an expectation, but, Lord, your word will not depart out of our mouths. We'll keep speaking those prophetic words and your word as a truth, Lord, and we'll keep it before our eyes. And, Lord, when it's time for us to get up and move and start acting in 2022, Father, we will advance, and you, Lord, because you said, unless the Lord builds the house, the laborers build in vain. But, Father, I want to thank you. We won't be laboring in vain in 2022 because God will be building with us in Jesus' name. So, Lord, bless each one in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. We all agreed and said, Amen. Amen.